Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN. We're back after another short hiatus on the Take 10 Podcast with another basketball-focused episode as we are just days away from March now. Um, you know, Leap Year got us waiting one extra day this year for March Madness, but it's all good. It's right around the corner and we are uh, chatting accordingly here on the show. This week we have a basketball expert joining us who covers not only college basketball but also the nba draft and the nba for the athletic his name is sam bassini um he's all over the place as far as his work goes um you know i've, I've heard him on the radio here locally in chicago read his work on the athletic um covers a wide range of topics like i said so he's very well versed in our uh, big 10 discussion and that uh is reflected in our chat coming up here in just a moment so great conversation with sam and then after that we toss it to another expert in college basketball who uh, is on the show every week pretty much to break down um the sport and intricacies and that is harold shelton our researcher so if you're not familiar with the show harold comes on each and every week chat about college football or basketball and uh use his day-to-day in-depth statistical knowledge to uh catch us up on everything that's going on and just to have some uh, general discussions about Big Ten Hoops in this case. So get to Sam first, and then we'll get to Harold after that. So we'll toss it over now to Sam Vecini of The Athletic. That conversation starts right now. All right, I'm very pleased to be joined by a senior basketball writer for The Athletic. It's Sam Vecini. He's the host of the Game Theory Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Sam underscore Vicini. Sam, how's it going, man? Alex, how you doing, man? Doing great. Appreciate you taking some time. And, and you're a guy, I'm surprised I haven't had you on this podcast yet because you're a guy that's kind of popped up across my sports media consumption habits over the years, whether you know, you're on the radio here in Chicago or reading your writing at The Athletic. It's just, you seem like you're everywhere. So uh, I'm curious, let me know how you got into the uh, the business and how you kind of got to where you are today. I always like to do that on the show, especially off the top with uh, sports media personalities. Well, it's, it's funny because like I we you know you told me you were going to ask me this before we started podcasting, and I was like, do you have like half an hour to talk about it? Because like my my journey into this thing is weird. Like I, I don't have a journalism degree. I don't you know I, I don't have the traditional path. Like I was uh, I went to Ohio State, so certainly right within your wheelhouse in terms of Big Ten. Um, you know, got a degree, I switched around majors bunch, like got a degree in strategic communication, but because I was switching around majors so much, I, uh, ended up with the ability to graduate in three years if I wanted to, and understood that I was like no circumstance ready to go out into the real world and like try and get a job, uh, doing anything. I wasn't mature enough to do that yet. So I took a fourth year at Ohio State and got a second major in film studies. And from there, I went to Carnegie Mellon for my master's and got a uh, essentially an MBA in the entertainment industry. So I started working out here in Hollywood and I uh, was working at like stars, uh, you know, the you know, premium you know, movie channel or whatever and worked at MGM. And then I worked at Nielsen doing like, TV ratings and custom research and stuff for a year. Uh, and the whole time that I was kind of working out here, I was writing about basketball, just like on blogs and stuff. And 
you know, luckily enough, you know, I got noticed and got, you know, picked up by a few different places. So uh, from there, CBS decided they wanted to hire me, and I guess the rest is history. Yeah, it's fascinating. So can you kind of lay out, um, now that you're at The Athletic, kind of how your role has changed, you know, instead of writing on blogs and, you know, kind of scrapping, you know, at the uh, in the industry, what do you – cover now I, you know in your bio it says you kind of do everything so, so what, what's how do you divvy up your time and, and your coverage well I think that when I started you know I was kind of more college basketball in draft like it, it was more of that split whereas now it's a lot more of an NBA and draft split than it used to be like it's probably more like 45% draft 25, you know, no, maybe, maybe like 50% draft, 30% NBA and 20% college. Right. Um, I'm luckily lucky enough to work at a place here on the NBA side, which is where I theoretically work. Um, at the athletic where they give me a bunch of freedom to just say, Hey, like you're good enough at this. We, we trust you just go do stuff that's interesting. And because my interests kind of, Sprawl all over the place. My brain kind of just, you know, likes to have it have itself in a lot of different areas. Uh, it kind of works. Uh, you know, I think that uh, I'm just very, very, very lucky to be at the athletic right now. I think. All right. Well, anyone who follows you on Twitter knows you're very on top of things. So we'll put your uh, Big Ten and national knowledge to the test here. We'll talk a little <laughs> bit of a little bit of draft as well to uh, you know dive into that specialty. <laughs> But let's start, uh, let's start at the top of the Big Ten with Maryland, especially coming off a uh, wild game last night. They're having a special season. You know, they, they've kind of capped a few huge comebacks in dramatic fashion. They can clinch a Big Ten title with a win Saturday, or at least a share, Saturday home against Michigan State. So with the Terps, is this kind of what you expected from uh, a group we knew would be talented heading into this year, that they had some, some slow stretches? You think they're playing to their full potential now, or do they still have more to grow? I think that I think you can go both ways on that, right? Like I, I don't know that I expected them to be twenty three and five right now. Um, the reason that I say that is I wasn't one hundred percent clear what to expect from Jalen Smith this year. Uh, you know, early in the year he was a little bit of a question, right? Like the first month of the year, he was certainly not what he has been throughout the entirety of the Big Ten season, which is uh, up until a couple of blips here in the last few games, he, he's just been totally dominant uh, on both ends of the floor. Uh, he's become, they, they've really let him loose as a pick and pop weapon. They've let him, uh, you know, just dominate the defensive end with his mobility and with his uh, shot blocking ability. He, he's just uh, really kind of, their decision to allow him to be more of a perimeter big as opposed to an interior big, which I think is what they tried to pigeonhole him into, more of the Bruno Fernando role from last year. Uh, it, it's really changed their fortune this year in such a substantial way. Uh, you know, Anthony Cowan has been basically what we expected. Uh, he's gotten better at uh, reducing the number of boneheaded, you know, terrible decisions that he had a tendency to make throughout his first three years. And I think that that really helps their offense kind of uh, mature. But on the other hand, like, they've gotten very little from, offensively at least, from guys like Aaron Wiggins and Eric Ayala that I think we expected to be better, right? Like Aaron Wiggins up until recent games here really struggled. Uh, You know, he 
scored 20 points against Ohio State, was integral last night against Minnesota. But, you know, this is a guy that scored in single figures in four of his previous five games, despite playing like 25, 30 minutes a night. So I think that that's the room for growth is who is the real Aaron Wiggins? Because Aaron Wiggins, six foot six and seven foot wingspan, like you could tell me that guy ends up leaving for the draft this year because he is, you know, has, has a breakout NCAA tournament and uh, becomes a big part of the reason that they go on a Final Four push, where you can tell me he's going to have to return and go to Maryland again and, uh, you know, be an all Big Ten player next year. So I, I think it's, I think it's hard to characterize them, especially because if you look at where during the big win streak that they went on, I b- believe they won, what was it, nine, nine games in yeah. a row in Big Ten play? Um, where they did it was on defense. They were exceptional on defense in that run against, you know, Purdue, against Rutgers, against Illinois, who's a pretty good offense. Uh, they were great in that Michigan State game defensively. Now over the last three games, it hasn't been quite as good defensively, right? Like against Ohio State, they were pretty bad. Last night against Minnesota, I thought they were pretty bad. So I think as long as they shore up that defensive end of the floor, they have enough offensive firepower to where they can make a deep run. But I I just really hope that over the course of the next two, three weeks heading into the NCAA tournament, that's where they focus on figuring stuff out because I think this is a team that's going to have to anchor itself on defense uh, and then get enough from its stars on offense to make it work yeah well put and it's crazy to think that you know there are several games that could have easily gone in the other direction you look at last night against minnesota um you look at the early game against illinois back in december nebraska even pushed them to the brink so uh you know plenty of potential uh i think those losses or those near close wins will serve them well heading into march but i want to take it down the uh list in the big 10 to some teams that we weren't sure they were going to be good this year we probably expected them to be better and it aligns up with actually the uh, Coach of the Year finalists, the Naismith Coach of the Year finalists that were named from the Big Ten just recently, and that's Pat Chambers at Penn State, Brett Underwood at Illinois, and Steve Peichel at Rutgers. Um, if you had to pick someone from the Big Ten to you know be named Big Ten Coach of the Year or uh, you know go f- be a finalist, I guess even contend for that National Coach of the Year honor, would it be one of those three guys? And uh, which one would you pick? You know, I probably would go Pat Chambers out of that group. I would throw Mark Turgeon in this group as well. Like, I know that, you know, he, he might not be a finalist for this. But I think we often underrate just winning basketball games, right? Like, we, we often give this award to the team that or the coach that most exceeds expectations, right? You know what? Like, a lot of the times the best coaches are the teams that win games, right. right? And Mark Turgeon, you know, this team is up two games in the Big Ten right now in what is – what the deepest Big Ten I can remember to be sure. So I think that we're kind of drastically underrating just winning basketball games on some level. And uh, I would like to see him maybe get a little bit more recognition. But if we're going to go um, from that group, I think I would default to Pat Chambers because he was under an enormous amount of pressure coming into this year. This was undeniably a hot seat year for him. Like Steve Peichel, Brad Underwood, they're safe, man. Like they didn't have to worry about getting fired if they ended up going 500 this season and missing the NCAA tournament. Pat Chambers, for him to under pressure, have this team in third place in the Big Big Ten, 
to have them in a position to where they are going to be a top, you know, four seed likely in the Big Ten Conference tournament. They're probably in position to be a top five seed in the NCAA tournament. Look, I know that they have Lamar Stevens, and Lamar Stevens should be an All-American, in my opinion. But, you know, for him to get what he's gotten out of guys like Miles Dredd and Myron Jones and, you know, Jamari Wheeler and these guys, it, it just is such a credit to him. He's always been uh, a coach that gets the most out of his defensive units. If you look over the course of the last three years, they've always been in the top 30 of uh, adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. Uh, this year, they've really figured things out offensively by pushing the tempo a little bit more. So um, I-, I would go with Pat Chambers because I think that he's made the biggest, along with Brad Underwood, I should say that Brad has made an adjustment as well, kind of downturning the tempo a little bit. Pat revved up the tempo, which I think is often a little bit harder to do uh, while maintaining defense and has gotten enough offense while still being a good defensive team. So uh, I, I would go with Pat Chambers for all of those reasons. Yeah, another guy I'm surprised isn't getting talked about a little more is uh, Fran McCaffrey. Um, the job he's done at Iowa this year, especially after losing Tyler Cook to uh, the draft and then losing Jordan Bohannon to injury, and I don't know how much you attribute to Luka Garza's ascension to Fran, but I mean, it, Iowa did not look good early in the season after DePaul came into their house and kind of lapped them. And, uh, you know, they've, they've kind of held steady and they had the struggles on the road. But overall, I think Fran's done a great job. They're kind of steady in that ship. Yeah, I'm a little less enthused. You're down on the Hawkeyes, huh? A little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, it's, they've had a great year. Like, look, I don't mean to, you know, just, like, crap on them or anything. But they get an inordinate amount of attention for a team that, doesn't have a top 90 defense in the country for a team that uh, is currently sitting in 12th in defense uh, in the Big Ten. But their offense is great, don't get me wrong. Uh, Luka Garza is a terrific offensive player, but I just kind of look at this team and I struggle to see... Like, I can make a case for most of the teams in the Big Ten making a deep run in the NCAA tournament. I, I struggle to see how Iowa is going to do it because... I just don't worry. I worry so much about their defense. Yeah, um, we've seen, you know, away from home, they have not looked the same. So correct. that's it's a good like point. Their, their road success has not been great. Uh, I believe that all of their last four losses have been on the road. Um, and their only two wins in that span on the road have been at Northwestern, who's not very good. Let's just be real about it. And Minnesota, who is in the midst of, you know, just cratering right now other than Daniel Aturu. So, like, I, I just can't wrap my head around Iowa, you know, getting the amount of attention that it does. And, it, you know, they're a good team. I think they certainly deserve being the NCAA tournament. They've, uh, you know, beaten Maryland. They've beaten Michigan this season. They took care of Ohio State last week. But I, I'm just uh, – I look at their structural defensive deficiencies in terms of – they play simultaneously extremely over-aggressive while not forcing a lot of turnovers. Um, they have to cover for Garza so substantially on that end. Like, anytime he gets pushed on an island, they almost always help from, like, a same-side defender, and it leads to, like, a wide-open kick-out three. Uh, it, you know, it, it's, hard, it's hard for them to really do anything on defense to where I think they can get enough stops. All right, so something to keep in mind when filling out your brackets. A couple weeks here, um... 
Speaking of the field of 68, I feel like every year I hear about the bubble being weak. Uh, I just assume every year the bubble's weak without even confirming it or doing any research. So <laughs> is is that is, is that the case this year? Um, you know, is it one of those years where it's like, well, we got to get to 68? And do teams like Rutgers and Purdue factor in? How, how weak is the bubble and how big of a shot or well of a sh- uh, chance do you think the – Ninth and tenth teams in that uh, in the Big Ten's contention to get in the dance have at uh, at sneaking in. I think that Rutgers is going to have to win one of its last two games. Uh, I think if they take care of business there, they're probably going to be fine. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be tight, but they they've done enough. Like I get that they have literally not done anything. Like we talk about a team in Iowa that hasn't been great on the road. I mean. I'm pretty sure that Rutgers' only road win this season is at Nebraska. So they need to prove in the Big Ten tournament on some level to feel totally safe that they can win away from Rack. But it's the same token, man. Like, I look across college basketball. Like, I'm way more worried to play Rutgers than I am a team like USC out here where I live. Um, Rutgers is just way tougher. They play way more together. They're, um, you know, maybe not as talented, but, uh, you know, Steve Peichel has done a tremendous job there. Uh, I would like to see Rutgers in the tournament. In, in terms of, like, the softness and, you know, weakness of the bubble, I guess that, I mean, college basketball in general is down this year. Like, I don't know that resume-wise, you know, that the bubble is weaker than what I've seen. Like, I actually think there's a pretty real amount of depth across college basketball. But, like, in general, I mean, there's, there isn't as much talent this year. So, if, if we're talking that way, then, yeah, sure, maybe maybe it's a little bit down. Maybe it's a little bit weak. But um, I, I don't know. Like, in terms of resumes, I think that you know, we're, we're talking pretty similar resumes to what we always see. All right, so speaking of talent across the board, kind of in college hoops, obviously there's no Zion. There's not nearly the uh, depth or uh, amount of talent we saw last year in the NBA draft. You do plenty of NBA draft coverage for the athletics. So I want to talk about some Big Ten NBA draft prospects and start at the top with the guy we talked about already a little bit and Luca Garza. Is it possible we could have a national Big Ten player of the year uh, in Luca who might think about returning to school because he's just not on the NBA draft radar? Yeah, I mean, I have Luca like 94, 95 on my board. Um, I don't really – any NBA executive that I've talked to is not particularly interested in him. Uh, he is an atrocious defender, in my opinion. Uh, he is uh, – I, I don't really – I'll be honest. Like, I, I can't wrap my head around – like, I get that he's averaging 25 points a night in the Big Ten, but, like, he plays the most defensive position or most important defensive position in uh, on a basketball court. And he is, uh, for me, the significant reason why Iowa's defense is what it is, uh, how disastrous Iowa's defense is. So, I, I mean, like me personally, I wouldn't have him anywhere near like a top five for uh, national player of the year. Like I would have, uh, you know, someone like Jalen Smith ahead of him, to be honest. And, you know, I would have uh, someone like Yudoka Azabuke at, Kansas ahead of him, but uh, you know what? People that vote on these awards, I think, often default to points per game and rebounds per game, and don't really look at the effect that a player is having on the court on both ends of the court. So, I mean, it's very, it's very possible that he could end up winning National Player of the Year and end up returning to school because uh, NBA evaluators that put their uh, 
money where their mouth is essentially in terms of keeping their job decide that he's not worth, uh, you know, selecting in an entire NBA draft. Who has first round, excuse me, who has first round potential do you think in the big 10, you mentioned Jalen Smith, uh, Daniel Oturu, Io DeSumo, guys like that. Who do you see, uh, getting their names called in the first round, maybe even in the lottery, uh, coming out of this league? Yeah. So it's kind of a strange year for the big 10 in terms of like highest echelon talent, right? It's a very deep league. It's a very strong league. But, you know, right now, I believe that my highest-ranked prospect is Jalen Smith. And I have him at number 21 on my board. If you told me he ends up hearing his name called, like, the layer portion of the lottery, I wouldn't be stunned. Um, I have Xavier Tillman up there. I'm a really big fan of just what he brings as a role player at the next level. Uh, he is just so skilled across all facets of basketball. I think that, you know, Xavier Tillman is someone that affects winning at a greater level than someone like Luca Garza, for instance. Um, you know, I, I know Garza has the numbers, but uh, you just look at what everything Tillman does defensively. You look at how he pairs with Cassius Winston, how he can vary his role uh, toward the basket in those all essential pick and rolls with Winston. He can short roll, he can pass, he can... Uh, finish above the rim. You know, you can occasionally step out and knock down a three. Uh, he's great. I'm a big fan of Xavier Tillman. I have a Taru uh, as a first round pick right now as well. Uh, Cassius Winston, I think is going to have a chance uh, to go maybe in the later portion of the first round for a team that needs a point guard that can really step in immediately. I have Io Desunmu in my top 40 right now. So very much in the mix to be a first round pick. Uh, if he decides to declare uh, Caleb Wesson, I have in my top 50. Uh, I think he's, pretty solidly somewhere in the second round if he was to decide to leave Ohio State. Other than that, I think that those are the those are the guys right now that really stand out as potential draft like potentially guys that go like in the top forty and get like guaranteed deals next year in the NBA draft. All right, good stuff. Gonna shift back to the tournament real quick before we wrap up. Um you think there's gonna be correlation between the college basketball, you know, balance that we've seen this year and not really having many elite teams and just, uh, you know, not many elite NBA prospects either. Do you think there's going to be a correlation with, with the balance and the quality of March Madness? Like March Madness is always fun, but do you think the finishes will be wilder, the the games will be closer and everything will, uh, you know, kind of be conducive to more chaos with maybe like eight, nine, ten seeds reaching the final four this year? I, I don't, yeah, I think that's very possible. Uh, I think that the teams this year are just generally a lot closer. I think I think Kansas is pretty substantially better than everyone else this season. Um, but, you know, I think that once you get beyond them, it's going to be tight. Like, you can make a case for someone like – like, if you made a very substantial argument to me that uh, Penn State can make the Final Four this year, I would 100% buy in. If you made a real argument, like, about Illinois – I'll probably have Illinois going reasonably deep into the tournament. I really like their talent level. I think Iowa Sunmu is, you know, maybe the Big Ten's best closer uh, of games. And you look at what they have talent-wise. They have older guys like Trent Frazier and Feliz. And, um, you know, Kipper Nichols plays a role for them, right? Uh, they have the really good interior freshman in Kofi Coburn. Like, you, you can make a case for them pretty easily, I think, uh, just in terms of talent. I think Brad's a great coach. Um, you know, Ohio State's sitting right now at eight and eight in the league, I believe, and they 
have an incredible amount of talent. Plus, Chris Holtman's great. Like, you can look, you know, throughout the top 30 or top 35 teams. I think you can make a pretty real case for a lot of those teams, you know, if things broke right for them in terms of matchups, uh, getting to the Final Four. I think that's what's going to make this NCAA tournament really, really fun. Yeah, Michigan's another team that's kind of re-hitting their stride and, and you know, getting livers back healthy was key. But you're right, it just – that's why I think the Big Ten is a great chance to get back to the Final Four this year, get to Atlanta. Um, just with having you know eight or nine quality teams in the mix, I think one of them will uh, will surface and make it. Uh, Sam, a lot of good stuff. Last question, though, and this does not have to do with the Big Ten or even college basketball, but it has to do with my personal fandom and curiosity. Um, how in the world do you fix the Chicago Bulls? Because I am hopeless over here. I'm about a mile from United Center right now where I'm sitting, and uh, I've, I've pretty much – thrown in the towel so give me a uh, a bullet point plan to fix the bulls if it's even possible yeah i think that the number one thing is they have to make a change in the front office you really can't uh expect different results at this stage whenever uh john paxton and gar foreman have been giving you the same results for an extended period of time basically since derrick rose's injury it's gone downhill and we're at uh, Nadir now. I, th- I think it's time for the Reinsdorfs to move on there. And uh, once that happens, we'll see if things can kind of change. Hey, man, I, I definitely echo that sentiment. It's funny because I was at the uh, some of the All-Star Game stuff a couple weeks ago, and then I went to a Bulls game uh, a week later, so last weekend, and just the contrast in uh, ability and, and excitement and in overall – just enthusiasm for basketball was uh, was stark. So um, dark times over here, but hopefully they can get it figured out. Yeah, <laughs> they need the uh, the, the NBA needs the Bulls to be better. Thank you. Yeah. The NBA as a whole is better when the Chicago Bulls are better. It's one of the biggest media markets in the country. It's clearly one of the most storied franchises in league history due to Michael Jordan. The league as a whole is much better when the Bulls have everything rolling. So for them to not have really even been competitive uh, in the last few years, I think is uh, it's a detriment to the league in a substantial way. Yeah, I mean, they're an international brand. You go overseas, you see, you see Bulls gear. They should be a destination just because of what Jordan has done. It should be cool, like the Lakers. People should want to play for the Bulls, but uh, I digress. Uh, that's enough Bulls talk. You've given us uh, plenty of college basketball talk as well over the last 25 minutes or so. So I really appreciate you coming on, Sam, and sharing your knowledge, and hopefully uh, we can reconnect at some point down the road. Yep, anytime, Alex. All right, thanks once again to Sam for joining me. Really appreciate his time and his expertise. Uh, A lot of good stuff from him, and uh, definitely a new-age basketball expert that uh, sport desperately needs people like him to, to you know, fill us average Joes and consumers of, of basketball in on kind of the, the analytics and and uh, what the what the game is telling him and how he sees the game. So a lot of good stuff from Sam. We'll toss it over to Harold Shelton now, BTN's in-house researcher for an even closer look at Big Ten uh, basketball. Some laid back discussion as usual with H. Always a good time chat with him. So we'll toss it over to him for our stat head segment starts right out. All right, back in the studio with Harold Shelton, 
for our uh, stat head segment. H, we're less than 24 hours removed from another wild couple of finishes in the Big Ten. That was uh, crazy on Wednesday night with, with Penn State and Maryland both winning close to the buzzer. Yeah, just unbelievable. You know, last second shots, uh, you know, a couple of one-point wins, big comebacks. Uh, you know, it had it all, and it was very fitting in the season we've had so far. Yeah, I feel like there have been those nights in the past, at least since I've worked here, where, you know, you get not just one dramatic finish, but two. With both games being on BTN, it was really good for us, but I wasn't necessarily surprised that, that Penn State pulled it out because they were dominating that game. I was surprised, although maybe I shouldn't be with their track record this season, that Maryland was able to win that game because they looked completely out of sorts. Um, it, it's weird. They've had two of these big comeback games now with their team getting multiple like technical fouls and everything kind of going um, you know, in the in the trash in the first half. Saw it against Minnesota last night. Same thing happened against Illinois a few weeks ago. Um, it looked like at a certain point that Minnesota couldn't possibly blow that game, but they did. Yeah, you know, I think it was kind of a, a microcosm of both of those team seasons. Right. You know, uh, from the Minnesota side, you know, they were up eight on Iowa, you know, a little over a week ago, you know, with a chance to, you know, kind of bolster their resume. They go scoreless the rest of the game and they lose. Um, then, you know, to blow a big lead here, also at home, you're up 16 against Maryland, you know, let it get away, miss free throws late. Um, as for Maryland, I mean, those guys, you know, they're like thieves in the night. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how many times – uh, we have to see them pull out a win like this. You know, the Indiana game, you know, they had no business winning. Yep. You know, Aaron Wiggins makes some big shots. You know, sticks, you know, big put back just like he had last night. And, you know, I think it's the fourth double-digit comeback they've had this season. You know, twice against your boys, sorry. Um, you know, the Northwestern game and last night. You know, the, the Michigan State game, they're down seven with three minutes left. They find a way to win it. So I think it, it says more about what Maryland has done and kind of the makeup that they have and the toughness that they have that they keep finding a way to pull these games out. Yeah, I can't tell if it bodes uh, for the negative in any way. You know, like are they getting – you can look at it in a couple of ways. Like are they fortunate to have escaped with a lot of these wins? Probably, but is that necessarily a bad thing? Like it, it always goes back to the adage that, oh, they're figuring out how to win – um, you know, uh, a win's a win. Doesn't matter by how much necessarily. And a lot of these games are going to be close in March, and they have figured out how to kind of crack that formula of not only being down but winning late and winning close. So, do you think there's any warning signs there? Do you think it's it's mostly a good thing? Uh, I think it's mostly a good thing, but I do think there there are some issues. I think when you get to March and you're playing, you know, a team in the second round or the Sweet 16, you know, assuming that they're going to be, you know, like a two or three seed, you know, those are teams that can beat you. And you have, you know, they're constantly start slow. And against some of those better teams, if you dig yourself a big enough hole, you might not be able to get out of it. Now, granted, you're going to go into every game thinking that as long as we keep fighting, we know we have a chance because they've seen – we've seen them – win so many of these types of games but you just wonder how often can they get away with that how many lives do they have left before they actually get burned right well all that being said they got a two-game lead coming on the stretch here they have a chance to clinch share the big 10 title against your spartans on saturday um do you think there's any chance that the terps will have to split this big 10 title with 
any of the teams chasing him. Um, we got a handful of teams with six losses. Schedules aren't necessarily balanced going down the stretch. Maryland still has uh, a few tough games left. Is anyone in a position to make a run and catch them despite uh, Wednesday night's result against Minnesota? I feel like every team that's chasing them has a tough schedule, and so I feel like it it would require you know those teams winning their last three or four games and Maryland losing at least twice. Um, I'd be very surprised if that happened. I mean, I guess there's the possibility of Maryland losing uh, their last three. You know, they host the Michigan schools and they go to Rutgers, which has been a tough place to play. But, you know, Rutgers is definitely going the wrong way right now. Um, so I think at this point, you know, the way that Maryland found a way to win that Minnesota game and keep that two-game lead, I think that it'll be enough for them to uh probably win it outright. It probably would have been more likely than not they would have split it if they would have lost Wednesday night because yep. you can't imagine them sweeping um, Michigan, Michigan State, and Rutgers the rest of the way after that. But, you know, we'll never know, I guess, because Daryl Marcel hit that shot and they uh, they narrowly escaped Minneapolis and, and probably a top five crazy game of the year, maybe top three. Um, I want to talk about your Spartans a little bit, though, as we shift to the teams that are kind of chasing them in the, I guess, second tier or, you know, upper tier of the Big Ten. How do you feel as a close observer fan um, about how Michigan State is vibing right now heading into March? Because, you know, it's it's always the sayings like, you know, February Izzo, all that January, February Izzo, you know, that Michigan State plays a tough schedule in November because of March. Now that March is almost here, how are you feeling? Do you, do you think um, – they have a run in them, and how does it kind of put the whole season in perspective? Um, I thought the Iowa performance was encouraging. They definitely looked flat in that first half, and granted, I know some of that was because Tillman only played four minutes, but, you know, Cassius Winston had three shots in the first half. They didn't look good at all. Um, and then they got some contributions from Rocky Watts and Aaron Henry, and then Cassius kind of looked like the Cassius of a year ago, and they were able to – you know, come back from a 10-point deficit and pull out a win. It was the first time they won a game when trailing at halftime all year. So that was encouraging. But I feel like for every, you know, glimpse or a glimmer of hope that they show, you know, it, it seems kind of fleeting. And then I'd like to see them put it together for more than just one half or more than just one game. Um, you know, this Maryland game I think will tell a lot. You know, they still go to Penn State after that. So those are two teams that they already lost to, that two teams they're battling with for, you know, Big Ten seeding and whatnot. So it would be nice to, you know, get a split out of that. They can beat Ohio State at home, you know, kind of finish this four-game gauntlet at 3-1. and one. I feel a lot better about it. But i say at this point, their ceiling, they haven't reached it. I don't know if they will. A lot of it is going to depend on those wings. Um, they, if they get – you know, two or more to play well at the same time. I think, you know, it could be a Final Four team. We just haven't really seen much of that this year. You know, if they only get one wing plan, they could lose, you know, first or second round. And if none of them play well, they could be out in the first game. So I think it's completely up in the air with them because they're just so inconsistent from game to game. All right, well, a couple of big matchups this weekend. Um, actually, a few, more than a couple. Michigan State, Maryland is one of them. Uh, another one is Penn State. In Iowa, Penn State's looked a little vulnerable. They lost those two in a row. And then uh, could have lost after blowing that 21-point lead, I believe, to Rutgers. But 
Got the big shot from Miles Dredd on Wednesday to salvage that victory. And uh, Iowa coming off a loss as well against the Spartans. So are you worried about either of those teams? You know, Iowa has their struggles away from home. Penn State coming down from that big winning streak a little bit. Uh, just what are you looking at? Not necessarily that, that this game matters for more than Big Ten tournament seeding, but just the general trajectory of both of those those teams. How do you see them projecting as we get into a tournament format here soon enough? Well, I definitely would like to see a game that was similar to the first time they played. That game at that was fun, yeah. was wild. It seems like forever ago. It was a lot of fun. It did seem like forever ago. It's like early January. Yeah, those two teams <clears throat> those two teams seem completely different now. Uh, I think Penn State with Myron Jones is a second weekend team for sure. Uh without him, I'm not so sure. Um, the last time we saw him, you know, he was raining threes down in Breslin as they walked out of there with a win. Right. We haven't seen him since. That was six games ago. Um, he's probably their best three-point shooter. Uh, in the last three games, they've gone 13 of 35 from three. So that's not <laughs> not a good recipe there. Right. Um, actually, sorry, 13 of 55 from three. Uh, so not a good recipe. Even with Dre hitting that shot uh, to win the game yesterday, they were still were one of nine from three in the second half. So they can't just rely on Lamar Stevens. They got to have shooters. Myron Jones is a shooter that they desperately need back. Um, as for Iowa, you know, Luca Garza, we know how great he is. Um, I'll be curious to see how he deals with Mike Watkins. You know, once Tillman was not in foul trouble in the second half, he was able to D him up pretty well, and he kind of looked, you know, normal for him at least. Um, so, but they're dealing with injuries too. They need CJ Frederick back. He's a, another really good shooter for them. And if he's not back, and they don't have the full complement of weapons, then I think they could go home early as well. But when both teams are healthy and rolling, they are both very, very dangerous. Yeah, do we have an idea when Frederick and Jones will be back? Because those teams, like you said, are not the same without those guys. Yeah, I thought that Myron Jones was supposed to make the trip to Indiana on Sunday. Uh, still didn't play. you know. And then we heard like right before the game that he wasn't playing against Rutgers. So I'm not sure when he's going to be back. You know, I, th- I thought it was you know a sickness, but... No one's really there hasn't been like a real right. I haven't seen anything concrete on that. Um, And I know Frederick, you know, he's kind of been battling an ankle injury. So he's kind of been in and out of the lineup. Um, Obviously, they need him back. They need his shooting back. They uh, yeah, it makes such a difference when Garza, when he gets a double down there, can can kick it out to somebody for a three. So like you said, critical for Iowa. Get him back. Um, another, Another big game this weekend. Michigan and Ohio State. Both teams back in the top 25 after, you know, that was looking dicey for a month-long plus stretch of the season. Kind of looking like their old selves, like we saw in November, December. Uh, Ohio State, I mean, very impressive because they're not near full strength right now. They're, you know, it seems like they're dropping guys left and right. Um, I think we got a uh, release today that, that Young and uh, someone else might be out tonight. Um, but anyway, we got Michigan and Ohio State to cap off the weekend. And do you think those two teams are – Built for March like we thought they were coming out of, say, November, December. Again, I think it's all about the health. Uh, with Isaiah Livers on the court, they're a completely different team. Um, they're 12-3 and three when he actually finishes the game. Um, and so, you know, the fact that they're the seventh seed in the Big Ten tournament right now really doesn't mean a whole lot for March because I think they're much better than that. They have a much higher ceiling than that. Yeah, a couple of years ago they won playing a Thursday game and. Ripping off four in a row, right? So. Um, which is very, very rare. Um, and the fact that they were able to do that, and you know, they've gone to the final 
three straight years. Right. So we're, we're used to seeing them making some noise around this time. Uh, February is kind of when they've really turned it up. They've been the best defensive team, the best defensive efficiency team in the country in the month of February, the best over the most efficient team in the country. If you combine offense and defense in the month of February, I think a lot of that has to do with Isaiah Livers being back and everybody kind of being more comfortable in their role. You don't have to ask Brandon Johns to do as much. You don't have to ask you know, Wagner to do as much. Simpson doesn't have to do as much. Everybody seems to just kind of be more comfortable in their role. And for that reason, and, and a lot of those guys have experience in those big moments. So I see Michigan as a team that could really do some damage. Kyle Young for Ohio State is a guy they desperately need because he's a guy that can score and rebound. And you don't have to draw up anything for him. He's their energy guy. He's their garbage guy. And without him, you know, they don't get those extra possessions when they struggle on offense. And that's a guy that you need back desperately if you plan on making a run. All right. Well, to wrap up, H, um, I know this is a very, how do I say it, fluid time of year for you um, with the Big Ten tournament coming up just a couple weeks. And that means you're sending out these daily reports where we see teams rise and fall on the seed lines on a day-to-day basis. We got, especially this year, teams just bunched up near the top, two through eight or nine right now is just wild. And, um, you know, who, seed, seeding is is been the talk of the social media universe because whenever we put out those brackets, everyone eats it up because they, uh, you know, they like envisioning their teams getting the double buys or, you know, moving up and down, especially teams that have not been uh, or that have had to historically participate on Wednesday or Thursday, you know, maybe getting a taste of that double buy Friday action. So let us know um, some of the scenarios. I know there's still potential for some crazy ties at the top of the conference. And I know even though with Minnesota losing last night, it kind of ruined a ultimate chaos scenario. But what are we what are we looking for as we're about 10 days out from the tip-off of the Big Ten Tournament in Indy? Um, so if Michigan beats Wisconsin tonight and Illinois wins at Northwestern, we can enter the weekend with still a potential seven-way tie for first. Okay. Um, if that does happen, you have Penn State as the one seed. Um, Maryland would not even have a double bye. So, huh. that, so that would be very interesting um, if, it were, if it were to play out like that. Um, I think, you know, kind of to your point, the seedings have been crazy. You know, once Illinois beat Nebraska on Monday and it was the five-way tie at 10 and 6 for second right. place, Illinois was six. Once Iowa and Michigan State played each other the next night, Illinois moved up to three without even playing a game because right. of the tie, the tiebreakers are going. And so it's just been that kind of year where, you know, Illinois didn't do well against Iowa and Michigan State, but did well against Penn State and Wisconsin. So, so much of the head-to-head is going to matter. There's going to be a lot of convoluted things. Uh, the fact that Illinois lost to Maryland could potentially hurt because teams like Wisconsin and Penn State beat Maryland. Right. And so – it's so, going to be very fluid. So explain it. The first tiebreaker is not it's not head to head, correct? Or so for two way tie, it's always head to head. Okay, two way. But once for you start getting all these multiple teams, it's the round robin against each other. Gotcha. And you use the best win percentage of that. And so once you begin to separate from there, if there's still ties within that grouping, you do from the top down in the standings. So how did this team do against Maryland? How did this team do against whoever's in second, whoever's in third? And that's kind of how you break those ties. 
Okay, yeah, it makes sense, but when you just see it laid out, I think a lot of fans, like half the reactions in our social media mentions have been, well, wait a minute, we beat this team, why are they ahead of us and we have the same record? But it does make sense. Uh, I've never been a numbers guy, that's why I have you on. And, um, you know, I need somebody to explain to my dumb brain how it all shakes out. But uh, it should be, you know, it should be a good time. Are you going, I assume, to Indy for all the games like usual? Yep, yep, I'll definitely be down there. Um, It's just a matter of if... I'm going Tuesday morning or Tuesday night. Um, I know we've got our, our all-conference show that Monday, and then we'll have a preview show on Tuesday. And so it's just a matter of, you know, how fast I can get my packet done, how fast can the show get on. And I'd like to get down there, you know, maybe get a little St. Elmo, something yeah. like that, and be ready to rock and roll for the tournament, which is always fun. I'm so glad it's back in Indy. I think it's the best place for it. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting down there. Yeah, Indy's awesome. I've been a handful of times to the tournament there. Last time I actually worked it, though, I was still in college. So 2016 um, was my senior year, and Illinois year. actually made a little run that year to the to Friday, I think. But uh, So I got to stay for oh, yeah, three so days. I think they were 12, and they, got, uh, they beat Iowa mm-hmm. and kind of ran out of gas against Purdue. But yeah. yeah, so I was there for three days, but um, I've not been there for basketball since then. And, you know, you're going to have to – fill me in on the BTN experience at Indy because all I know now is the football champ weekend, which is um, obviously is quite a bit different with just one game and everything kind of leading up to that in the 48 hours before. Yeah, it is the show in Indy. You know, when you go to a lot of other big cities, it kind of gets lost amongst other things. But That's how I felt in Chicago last year in yeah, New York. Yeah, exactly. And you know, DC too. If you were around the arena, you knew it. But if you got a couple blocks away, you wouldn't know what was going on. Right. While in Indianapolis, there's no mistake about it. Like, it is the show in town. Some of the streets get renamed. People, you know, schools have their own the bars. bars and stuff. Yeah, you can walk everywhere. It's is the perfect event for it. I love it every time it's there. I'm so glad it's back. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Like every place we've gone has kind of had something going for it. I think. I think the DC year that was my first Big Ten tournament working for the network. Um, you know, just the novelty of being out east. Like, the, I think everyone will admit that the turnout wasn't as good as it would be in Indy, Chicago, or even what we got in New York. But like, you know, we we're out east for the first time. Whatever, it was cool. Uh, New York City, I think, was better than everyone expected just with the overall vibe. Uh, It was great. We got great games. The Garden was an awesome host and venue. And then, you know, being back in Chicago, I think everyone was relieved to have it back in the Midwest last year. And, um, you know, the the games weren't all that great, but just having it back, you know, for us down the street was fun. But I uh, concur with you. It's going to be cool to pretty much have our own little basketball utopia going on in Indy. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, the I, I was glad I was back in Chicago, but at the same time, it didn't really feel like an event. It kind of just felt like I was still at work. Sure. You yeah. Know, that, I go home. Exactly. You know, I still had laundry to do. I still had dishes to do. And then I go to the stadium. You know, when I'm at the Big Ten tournament, I'm just so used to I'm locking into my hotel for the week. You know, I walk to and fro and, you know, Everything is just about that event. And also St. Patrick's Day. Remember that uh, last oh, weekend? Yeah. So that was like a whole other <laughs> thing, whole thing exactly. thrown in. It was kind of wild that Saturday in the city. I remember just like driving by everything going on. I felt like I was going away from the fun almost, even though obviously basketball was a great time. But, um, you know, that was another distraction that was that was thrown in. So Exactly. And yeah, we don't have to worry about that. Now I'm sure Indy will have some kind of St. Patrick's thing going on. And we'll have a lot of fun, even though it's a couple of days before. 
Right, right, right. All right. Well, uh, H, we'll get you on hopefully I think one more time before we go to Indy so we can chat even more about the seating projections and, and where we're going to hang out and all that. Um, but until then, man, it's been fun and we'll chat next time. Sounds good, man. All right. Thanks once again to Harold and Sam for joining the show. A lot of hoops talk today. A lot of uh, good in-depth discussion on what to expect coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks and what is one of the most fun times of year. Uh, you know, I can't get enough of March Madness and, and conference tournaments and everything that goes along with it. Um, it's just awesome. So hopefully we got you ready a little bit here. Plenty more to come over the next couple of weeks, and uh, we'll try and get some more basketball-centric guests as we roll along into the month of March. Quick reminder before signing off here, please, if you have not already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Podbean. If you're streaming on SoundCloud, don't forget you can find and subscribe to the show on those platforms. And we are also available on BTN's YouTube channel. So definitely uh, do that if you haven't already. Leave a positive review if you like the show. And um, before we end it here, i got to give a shout-out as well to my producer, Wes White, in this case. Um... Always appreciate the work he does, and I always appreciate everyone out there for listening as well to the fruits of our labor. So thanks as always. Uh, Keep it locked. Subscribe if you haven't already, and we'll talk to you next time here on the Take 10 Podcast.